Welcome to episode 62 of the Truth Quest podcast, the truth about gold and sound money. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as gold and sound money, the social credit scores, red flag laws, mass shootings, or cryptocurrencies come up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Or if you're tired of arguing with your friends and want to find something that you may agree on, share episode number 59 with them. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com. The easiest way to stay up to date on the podcast is to subscribe to it on iTunes or Google Play Music. It's also available on Stitcher, Spotify, and podbean.com. And finally, the video version of the podcasts are available on YouTube and bitshoot.com. And of course, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. If you pay the least bit of attention to the national news, you have likely heard a lot recently about the inverted yield curve and negative interest rates and predictions of a recession and these new 100-year bonds being floated by various governments. You've likely heard of Bitcoin and the claim that it is gold 2.0. You've likely heard discussions about the Federal Reserve and other central banks. All of the talk contains lots of angst, lots of finger-pointing, lots of predicting. What would you say if I told you that most of it is unnecessary? Most of it's just noise. Most of it can be fixed with one word, gold. See, back in the day, the U.S. dollar and most other currencies were backed by or pegged to gold. They were on what we call a gold standard. It's accomplished simply by the government holding gold and possibly silver in places like the infamous Fort Knox. They then issue pieces of paper called dollars that were redeemable for actual gold or silver. The money was, so to speak, sound because we knew what backed it, a valuable commodity. That was until 1971, when President Nixon unilaterally took the U.S. off the gold standard. He replaced the gold standard with a much more easily manipulated paper or fiat standard, and we literally started printing paper dollar bills with no backing from that day forward. The effect of that is, of course, inflation, which is what happens when the money supply expands by over 2,000% since that fateful day in August of 1971. That is why back then a gallon of milk cost around a dollar and the average home was $26,000. Think about the cost of those items today. The rising cost in dollars is called inflation. It's caused by the fact that there are more physical dollars or credit floating around in the economy. Those dollars get sucked up at the cash register, so to speak, whether it's milk or a house. Back in the 1960s, the price of an ounce of gold was $35. Today, it's over $1,500 an ounce. Did you know that an ounce of gold today has the same or more purchasing power as it did 100 years ago or even 50 years ago? You obviously cannot say that about the U.S. dollar. Here's one example I found helpful. In 1962, Motel 6 launched its business. Their catch was, stay for us for only $6 a night. Today, that same room rents for $90. I'm talking about their first Santa Barbara location here. That's a 15-time increase in 57 years. Given the monetary environment in which we have lived over the course of our lifetimes, that fact probably doesn't surprise you. Everything's more expensive than it was 50 or 60 years ago, duh. So is that just normal? No cause for alarm? I mean, are the Motel 6 rooms bigger? No. Are they significantly nicer? Nope. Are they cleaner? No. 
you're essentially getting the same product today as you did 60 years ago. However, back in 1962, an ounce of gold bought you six nights at Motel 6. Today, one ounce buys you 21 nights, demonstrating one example of how gold has outpaced inflation. There are many more, and I encourage you to do some research yourself. It's quite enlightening. So you got to understand how this thing works. See, the government screws us over decade after decade because we don't stand up together on issues that most of us agree on, like sound money. Here are two glaring examples. When Nixon took us off the gold standard, he lied to the American people and the world that the change would be temporary. After all, he had to get reelected at the same time the nation was coming out of a recession. Then we have the case of former chairman of the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan, the one who really normalized the Fed's heavy manipulation of interest rates, taking rates down to near zero following the dot-com crisis in the early 2000s, which of course ignited the housing bubble that blew up in 2008. If you want to learn more about this, look up the words Greenspan put in your favorite internet search engine. Anyway, why am I bringing this up? Well, in both cases, we see how principles die in favor of power and control. Under the gold standard, Nixon would have been constrained. He would have had to choose to cut spending on all of LBJ's social programs and the Vietnam War, or raise taxes in order to keep spending and spending and spending. Same with Greenspan. See, he was a libertarian gold bug before and after he held his position of power at the Fed. So if he was a principled man, he probably would never have taken the job. But you have to understand that under the gold standard, he never would have been put in the position he was in because the government would not have had the ability to print money and create a housing bubble, which in turn led to more Federal Reserve intervention. It's a friggin' vicious, government-induced cycle. Under the gold standard, any over-exuberance in the markets would be allowed to reset, in, for example, a recession. And while things would be a little painful for certain sectors of the market, the poor-performing businesses would have filed bankruptcy and or been gobbled up by a competitor or an investment group who would then redeploy the assets of the failing firm. But see, politicians are cowards. They cannot afford to stand up and tell people the truth and let the chips fall where they may. So they let the, the Fed manipulate the credit markets. Fast forward from Nixon and Greenspan to President Trump. During the election cycle, he properly called the market a Federal Reserve-induced bubble. He criticized the Federal Reserve for manipulating interest rates for most of Obama's presidency. Now that Trump is president, he cannot afford to let the markets fail under his watch. So what does he do? He publicly chastises the Federal Reserve Chairman, Jerome Powell, to lower rates. That's weird because he also claims that we have the best economy ever. I got news for you. The best economy ever does not require a central bank to intervene and lower interest rates. See how unnecessary virtually all of this bullshit economics discussion and arguments are? Under a gold standard, the federal government is forced to be responsible, forced to balance budgets, forced to make decisions about spending, forced to tell the American people, if you want welfare and warfare, we need to raise your taxes because the printing of money option is off the table. When you consider a classical gold standard, governments were expected to balance their budgets all the time except in times of war. However, after war, they were expected to return to normal. So we went from a gold standard to floating currencies during World War I and the Great Depression. Then we transitioned to FDR's confiscating of private gold and devaluing the dollar during World War II. Then Bretton Woods occurred in 1949 where the fixed exchange rate based on the gold standard was established. Two decades of prosperity followed then Vietnam and Nixon's closing of the gold window. By the way, 
How many of you are aware of FDR's confiscation of gold from American citizens in 1933? As damaging as Nixon's executive order was, compare that to the dishonest and dare I say sinister nature of what FDR did. It's crazy to think about it, especially given our Constitution, but in 1933 he signed an executive order requiring American citizens to turn in their gold in order to protect the value of the dollar, or so he said. They received $20 in change per ounce of gold for what they turned in. That gold was then held by the United States Treasury on the country's balance sheet, so to speak. And guess what? Less than a year later, the government decreed that gold was now valued at $35 an ounce, and effectively increasing the value of their balance sheet by 75%, and of course allowing the government to expand the supply of dollars. Voila! Just like that. When you are aware of the real-life tyranny inflicted on American citizens by the American government, you may understand why everything the federal government does should be viewed with contempt and suspicion. As you can see, with the gold standard, the Federal Reserve's ability to create money is limited. It creates a physical, hard limit on government if the dollars can be redeemed for gold. It requires the government to be a little less dishonest. If you print too many dollars, the holders of those certificates will redeem them for something of real value. Anything that limits and restrains the federal government, anything that instills discipline, will be adamantly opposed by the feds. See what they did? They granted themselves a monopoly power on the creation of money, or the issuance of credit, from on high. What has been the result of the kids running the candy store, or the addicts running the pharmacy, or the alcoholic running the liquor store? Out of control spending. Decades of cavities and diabetes, an economy in perpetual state of flux and instability, highs and lows, overdoses and hangovers, all cured with drugs, and more alcohol courtesy of the Federal Reserve and other central banks manipulating interest rates behind the scenes. We are now driving in uncharted territory. Never before have interest rates been held so low for so long. Never before have we seen negative interest rates, not to mention the $22 trillion national debt. It's outrageous. Basically, the central bankers are playing Russian roulette with the world's economy. Expecting the federal government to do the right thing is like expecting the moon to fall out of the sky. Think about term limits. You think these guys are going to pass term limit law? Hell no. That would constrain them. You think these guys are going to peg the dollar to gold? Hell no. That would constrain them. You think these guys are going to cut spending? You think they're going to bring our troops home? You think they're going to do something about illegal immigration, the surveillance state? These are all things we talked about in episode 59, the truth about what we agree on. A stable government equates to a stable society, but you can't have a stable society with dishonest money. John Tam Tamney put it this way, Here is something Lenin, Keynes, and Mises all agree with. Unstable money is the quickest way to turn a society upside down. Why is a stable currency desirable? Because with a floating currency, there is always a winner and a loser. If the government borrows today, the dollars they pay back to the lender in the future are worth less than the dollars they got due to inflation. If someone came to you today and said, hey, I want to buy your car with Turkish Lira, you would likely decline outright, but at best you would charge a premium to account for the fact that the currency is so volatile. Same thing if someone offered to pay with Bitcoin. Its price fluctuates so much, it's the definition of instability. Alan Greenspan once said, we would have never reached this position of extreme indebtedness were we on the gold standard, because the gold standard is a way to ensure that fiscal policy, that is tax and spending, never gets out of line. Ludwig von Mises said this, The eminence of the gold standard consists in the fact that it makes the determination of the monetary unit's purchasing power independent of the measures of governments. 
It rests from the hands of the economic czars, their most redoubtable instrument. It makes it impossible for them to inflate. This is why the gold standard is furiously attacked by all those who expect that they will be benefited by bounties from the seemingly inexhaustible government purse." End quote. Anyone who has listened to any number of TruthQuest podcast episodes knows what's coming next, the Constitution. I can't help but bring it up in almost every episode. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution gives Congress the power to, quote, coin money, regulate the value thereof, and of foreign coins, and fix the standards of weights and measures, end quote. I want you to consider for that for just one minute. Notice it does not say print money. This is something that modern Americans, for the most part, fail to realize, but our government has fleeced us. They have stolen from us. They are bankrupting the country. They have purposely lowered our standard of living. They're willfully negligent, which is a legal term meaning they purposely and knowingly did harm, as opposed to negligence by omission, which you do something wrong but you don't know. So you may be asking, why is gold the answer? Well, gold has several features that makes it valuable. It's scarce. It has intrinsic value due to its utility. Not only can you use it to save and invest, it can be used in jewelry. It has industrial and technological uses, both of which equates to lots of demand. It maintains its property, i.e. you can melt it down and guess what? It's still gold. Try doing that with a $100 bill. It maintains its value over time. It's stable. It's portable. Not to mention the fact that gold has a track record of functioning as money going back hundreds of years before Christ, and it's been a part of human history for thousands of years. On the other hand, fiat currency and credit are neither scarce, because it can be created out of thin air, nor does it have any intrinsic value other than the fact that other suckers will accept it in return for products and services, and that's only because the federal government deemed it legal tender. It's still a worthless piece of paper. And finally, it does not maintain its value over time. Many people claim that Bitcoin is the new gold. Really? Does it have the qualities of gold? Is it scarce? I guess you could say that most cryptos are scarce because they constrain their supply, but another crypto can pop up at any time and launch. There's over 2,500 cryptocurrencies right now. Gold is gold. There's no alternatives. Okay, so do cryptocurrencies have industrial uses? Nope. Do they maintain their properties over time? Okay, sure, I guess. Is it a conservative store of value? Not right now. On a regular basis, Bitcoin in particular will fluctuate 5% in a given day. Plus or minus 20% over the course of a week happens on a regular basis. That is not a store of value. Bitcoin in particular and cryptocurrencies in general are speculative assets. When you're talking about the scarcity of gold, it's important to understand that expanding the supply of gold is difficult. According to the World Gold Council, approximately 3,200 tons of gold are mined each year, which is less than 2% of the world's supply. John Tamney explains that gold is the constant simply because any sales or discoveries of it are highly unlikely to alter its price in material fashion. Compare that to how governments just print their fiat currencies and or issue credit via bond purchases. There really are no restrictions on the monopoly power of the issuance of money. So when you consider the consistency of gold, its staying power as compared to any government-invented currency, the same choice is clear. As Michael Lepowitz, writing for realinvestmentadvice.com, said, quote, There are over 3,800 historical examples of paper currencies that are no longer in existence. 
Gold, for all its imperfections, offers a time-tested, stable base against which to measure the value of fiat currencies, end quote. He added that persistent budget deficits and printing money were common factors in the failure of all these paper currencies. Does that sound familiar? Lebowitz continued, Despite the unwillingness of most central banks to acknowledge gold's relevance, the currencies of nations will remain beholden to a barbaric relic, especially as governments continue to prove their little incompetence in their application of fiscal and monetary discipline. In other words, the average citizen is stuck in a system where the government has monopoly power over the creation of money, while at the same time demonstrating their willful negligence by spending more and more, devaluing our money and causing inflation. The bottom line is gold's real value doesn't change very much. That means stability for any currency pegged against it. Before we wrap up this episode, I want to spend a few minutes on Alan Greenspan. As I mentioned earlier, he's the former chairman of the Federal Reserve who really mainstreamed the Fed's practice of manipulating interest rates in order to supposedly stave off an economic downturn. The reason he's worth spending a little time on is, as I mentioned previously, he was pro-gold standard before he was against it, before he was for it again. His analysis of the gold standard is worthy of study due to its economically sound conclusions he once drew, then apparently denied, but now believes again. He once said, quote, if the gold standard were in place today, we would not have reached the situation in which we find ourselves, end quote. In that same interview, he said blaming the gold standard for economic problems in the 20th century is, quote, like wearing the wrong shoes and saying the shoes are uncomfortable. It wasn't the gold standard that failed us. It was politics, end quote. And I would add it was cowardice on the part of Congress, presidents, and the Federal Reserve. Additionally, I would add that it was greed and power and control. It was all these things that contributed to the lack of doing the right thing when it came to monetary policy. Greenspan ended that interview with this, quote, We would never have reached this position of extreme indebtedness were we on the gold standard, because the gold standard is a way of ensuring that fiscal policy never gets out of line, end quote. In 1966, he was pro-gold standard. He wrote, This is a shabby secret to the welfare status tirades against gold. Deficit spending is simply a scheme for the confiscation of wealth. Gold stands in the way of this insidious process. It stands as a protector of property rights. If one grasps this, one has no difficulty in understanding that the status antagonism toward the gold standard, end quote. So let me shift gears a bit while I continue to make the case for gold and hopefully persuade you to support a gold standard. If you follow the financial press, you are invariably aware of the fact that central banks have become net buyers of gold in recent years after almost five decades of net selling. As Simon Constable, writing for Forbes.com, recently wrote, quote, Starting in 2008, central banks have continuously added gold to their reserves. At first, the net acquisition additions were relatively small. In 2008 and 2009, such institutions added 580,000 and 210,000 ounces of the metal, respectively. Since then, the buying binge has accelerated with over 11 million ounces being purchased in 2017, with likely a similar amount forecast for this year. Interestingly enough, Russia and Pakistan, of all places, were the two leading central bank buyers of gold in 2017. China, Turkey, Qatar, and even Colombia have been busy in the gold market as well. Why is this happening? Why am I talking about this? Well, like retail buyers of gold like you and me, the central banks buy it to diversify their portfolio, but more importantly, these central banks know that paper money, the money that they've been printing, is essentially worthless. They know that the greatest perpetrator of this money printing scheme 
is the United States Federal Reserve, the same country that happens to have the world's current reserve currency. These countries know that the United States' $22 trillion debt will never be paid off, and they know the days of the U.S. dollar being the world's reserve currency are numbered, so they buy gold and lots of it. They no longer want to be dependent on the U.S. dollar. It would be stupid to continue to rely on a bankrupt banker. So I thought I'd wrap this episode up with some solutions. So what can be done? Unfortunately, with the monopoly power of monetary policy in the hands of our overlords in D.C., not, nothing much substantial can be done. However, I saw an interview with then-Congressman Ron Paul on Judge Napolitano's old news program where he laid out a few suggestions. First of all, he said we can repeal Nixon's 1971 executive order. Then he went on to discuss the passage of a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution, or alternatively, Congress and the President could actually do the right thing and get spending under control. The Federal Reserve could tell the President and anyone else who was applying pressure on them to lower rates to go to hell. Third, Paul supports allowing gold and silver as legal tender. Right now, the Federal Reserve notes are the only recognized legal tender by the federal government. Hmm, I wonder why. The federal government only acknowledges the money that they print. Thankfully, in recent years, several states have passed gold and silver legal tender laws, meaning it will be recognized as a medium of exchange for the payment of debts and taxes in the state. Many states have also established depositories for precious metals, which encourages its citizens to accumulate the metals. Also, there are companies like Gold Money, where you buy grams of gold and they issue you a debit card with the limit based on the value of the gold in your account. We also have cryptocurrencies, which I would encourage folks to dabble in. Be careful, but research them. Understand them. As I discussed in episode 56, where we discussed Facebook's upcoming cryptocurrency, the Libra, the use of any alternative currencies other than the fiat money being spit out by central banks all over the planet will help bring about change. Personally, I believe buying gold and silver is more effective, but I'm all for crypto's potential disruptive effect on the central bank's stranglehold on the world's economy. Anything to hasten the corrupt, willful negligence of the current crop of politicians who are bankrupting the very countries they have sworn to serve. All these efforts, gold, silver, cryptocurrencies, all of those undermine the inflated, devalued fiat currency. And that's a good thing. Finally, Paul issues a warning about the establishment of a centralized international currency. He warns that we must push back on this to our dying breath. You saw how well the European Union's centralization scheme has worked out. Why the hell would we want a worldwide union, unless the goal is to bring power and control into the hands of a few? I hope you feel this episode was time well spent. It's taken me a while to grapple with the idea of a gold standard specifically and in, in the implications of the world that gold has generally. I hope I was able to distill the information in a manner that is easily understood and piqued your interest to learn more. By the way, if you're interested in buying gold, check out www.apex.com, A-P-E-X.com. I can vouch for them. See the show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for the URL. Please join the conversation at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. 